Chapter Seventeen of Peggy Raymond's School Days by Harriet Lummis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen. Dido complicates the case. The news from Victoria the day following the accident was reassuring. On the whole, after a careful examination, she had been taken home. The doctors declaring that the injury to her eyes was not of a serious nature, thanks to the thick spectacles which had protected them. The shock to her nerves was far the more serious. Indeed, the attending physicians found it hard to understand the completeness of Victoria's collapse. In the senior class, particularly, Victoria's condition awakened the keenest interest. Much of the seeming heartlessness in the world is nine-tenths thoughtlessness. The girls who had lent their assistance to Blanche's scheme for preventing an unpopular and new addition to the class from carrying off the honors, suddenly woke to the fact that their enterprise was not only unjustifiable, but cruel. There was a general tendency on the part of the girls who had been most active in the campaign to find a scapegoat, and Blanche Estabrook was forced to defend herself twenty times a day from reproachful classmates, who were inclined to hold her responsible for their part in the undertaking as well as her own. Among the seniors who were in the secret of the plot, Priscilla was perhaps the most miserable, for Priscilla was not one of the people who are adepts in finding excuses for themselves. Her share of the blame might have seemed slight to many, but Priscilla rejected this consoling view with tragic contempt. She might have stopped it. Had she protested to Blanche and the others with all the intensity of which she was capable, she believed she could have stopped it. And along with her aching desire to tell Peggy all about it and wipe the slate clean of this obnoxious secret, she was haunted by a tormenting fear of Peggy's finding it out. A week went by, and the tension was greatly relieved. The daily bulletin from Victoria's home reported her as making excellent progress, though her extreme nervousness still puzzled the doctors. Blanche no longer faced accusing glances whichever way she looked. The school barometer was veering around to normal when Queen Dido most unexpectedly complicated the situation. Dido had always received exceptional honors in the girls' high school. Years before, when the school was first organized, extreme popularity had attached to that touching ballad, which begins, Did you ever hear tell of Dido, that noble dame from Tyre, who had herself quite Frido, atop a roaring fire? Some ingenious Virgil class had originated the idea of wearing black on the day of the lesson describing Dido's tragic fate, and every succeeding class had observed that custom. And one morning, just eight days after Victoria's accident, a somber line of Latin students filed into Mrs. Phelps' classroom. Not only did the black attire emphasize the solemnity of the occasion, but every face was becomingly grave. A smile or a twinkle of the eye would have been a defiance of all the traditions. Had Miss Phelps been at her desk that morning, the unexpected sequel would have been avoided. For not only was Miss Phelps familiar with this local custom, but she was a woman of cautious temperament, who invariably looked before she leaped. Unluckily, Miss Phelps was laid up with an attack of lumbago, and a substitute teacher had taken her place. The substitute, Miss Donnelly, was anxious for a permanent appointment in the girls' high school, and, in the three days of her service, she had been making every effort to come into close and confidential relations with her pupils. In these three days she had heard so much of Victoria Wells that she had reached the mistaken conclusion that Victoria was the darling of the class. As she looked down on the grave-faced girls, clad in black, she jumped to another conclusion, this time with more serious consequences. "'I appreciate the fact,' said Miss Donnelly, as she reached for her Virgil, 
that it is an effort for you to be here, today, at all. This is one of the lessons we must learn, to be brave and go on with our work, even when there is an empty place in the classroom, and an empty place in our hearts. Every girl turned a wide-eyed glance at her neighbor. What did Miss Donnelly mean? But there was only one thing she could mean. A strange wordless sound filled the room as if each girl present had caught her breath. We shall all try to do our best today, continued Miss Donnelly, confident that she had made a favorable impression. I realize that your thoughts will be with the classmate who will never meet with us again, and I shall be lenient. Miss Combs, will you begin the translation? Priscilla rose to her feet, the familiar lines of the Virgil blurring before her eyes. Then Victoria was dead. The injury had been comparatively slight, Priscilla knew. It was the shock that had proved fatal, the shock coming to a girl in a nervous, overwrought condition. Priscilla's hand had begun to shake. She could not find her place, and Miss Donnelly patiently gave her the line. But before Priscilla could begin, Mary Donaldson, who sat next to Peggy, burst into tears. The violence of her emotion made it evident that some time would elapse before she regained her self-control, and Peggy, glancing quickly at the teacher for permission, slipped her arm about her sobbing classmate. "'Come, Mary,' she whispered. "'I'll take you to the restroom.' Mary allowed herself to be conducted into the hall, and when they were once outside the classroom, her sobs broke out with startling violence. Peggy, assisting her up the stairs and trying vainly to soothe her, found herself very much astonished. Peggy was shocked at the total unexpected news of Victoria's death, shocked and saddened, but this passion of grief was such a tribute as one would pay one's dearest friend, and Peggy could not recall that Mary and Victoria had ever betrayed a liking for each other. It was a relief to reach the restroom, with its couches and comfortable chairs. Peggy ensconced Mary in one of the latter, and brought her a glass of water. She was somewhat taken back to have Mary wave her and her offering aside. "'Don't!' wailed Mary. I'm not thirsty. Oh, dear, dear, it seems as if I should die. Peggy began to think this was mere hysteria. I'm going to call one of the teachers, Mary, she said. You ought to have something for your nerves. She turned away to put her intention into effect, when Mary seized her arm. Don't, Peggy, she implored with a tragic earnestness, out of all proportion to the importance of her request. Don't call a teacher. Oh, I can't stand it to see a teacher. "'Then you must try to control yourself, Mary,' replied Peggy, assuming the air of authority warranted by the occasion. "'Of course, it's dreadfully sad about Victoria, but—' She was amazed to have Mary drop her head upon her arms and rock herself back and forth, apparently in all ecstasy of grief. "'You don't know anything about it,' Mary moaned. "'Oh, you don't understand!' "'Why, what nonsense!' said Peggy, a little sharply. "'Why don't I understand?' You think Victoria just died because that stuff exploded in the laboratory, but we killed her. Peggy digested this in some sixty seconds of shocked silence, reaching a very natural conclusion. Mary Donaldson had suddenly gone insane. It occurred to Peggy that this senior class was having more than its share of calamities. With an effort she focused her attention on the practical needs of the moment. Don't try to talk now, Mary she said as calmly as possible, though her heart was thumping. Just be quiet for a little, till you feel better. I shan't ever feel better, wailed poor Mary. And I didn't do as much as some of the others, just laughed a little when she got up to recite and lent you my history outlines. Poor Mary! 
yesterday as sane as anybody apparently and today talking this wild nonsense peggy wondered if it would be safe to leave her long enough to summon help blanche estabrook is the one really to blame continued mary more wildly than ever she made it seem dreadful to have victoria valedictorian and so she got us all to promise to help you what's that interrupted peggy sharply of course we all wanted you for the valedictorian instead of victoria and blanche said it was the only way but i'd never have gone into it if the other girls hadn't i asked blanche if she felt sure it was perfectly fair and she said that no class could be expected to submit to having an outsider come in like that and carry off the honors that's the way all the girls felt about it peggy found herself trembling violently she pulled up a chair and sat down the conviction was growing upon her that mary was not violently insane that she was not even delirious back of all this meaningless jumble of words was a sinister reality something that concerned herself mary donaldson she said steadily will you please start at the beginning and tell me exactly what you mean mary was only too ready to comply with this request in her present panic-stricken mood she was glad to relieve her conscience by a full confession and as she told her story peggy's memory was bringing forward innumerable bits of corroborative evidence this was why everybody had been so kind and helpful this explained why she had not been chosen to take part in the senior play the interest amy dubois had showed over her progress in french language and literature was perfectly intelligible now and priscilla oh no cried peggy in answer to her own thoughts oh it couldn't be honestly peggy insisted mary donaldson i'm not adding to it a bit it was just as i'm telling you peggy was too heartsick to explain she let mary go on with her story but it was no longer necessary to listen poor victoria her suspicions her strange resentment which peggy had thought so unreasonable her increasing nervousness were all explained victoria had been keenly alive to the hostility of her classmates while peggy and the others had been blind no wonder thought peggy that mary wept and priscilla that was the worst of all priscilla must have known peggy's heart was heavy within her priscilla had shared in this dishonorable plot against a schoolmate miss wallace coming into the restroom to learn the explanation for the murmur of voices audible in the hall gazed in astonishment at the engrossed seniors peggy roused herself at the teacher's entrance and stood up what are you girls doing here miss wallace's glance went from one to the other haven't you a recitation at this hour yes miss wallace but mary heard the news and it upset her as if to prove the soundness of peggy's excuse mary donaldson who had almost regained her self-control began to cry with renewed violence miss wallace looked startled what news do you mean about victoria you know and then as miss wallace gazed at her blankly peggy asked in astonishment haven't you heard heard what i was at the telephone talking to mrs wells not ten minutes ago victoria had a better night she says and showed a little appetite for the first time ten minutes ago peggy gasped then it's all a mistake oh mary it's all a mistake and then to mrs wallace's amazement the two seniors were crying together from such fragmentary accounts as they were capable of giving miss wallace at length succeeded in getting some idea of what miss donnelly had said and being a young woman of action she walked downstairs to the room where a melancholy set of girls were making sorry work of translating the lines describing the death of tyre's famous queen 
Miss Wallace interrupted the recitation by a businesslike rap, entered, and whispered in the ear of the teacher in charge. "'Why, yes,' said Miss Donnelly, staring. "'It wasn't officially announced, you know, but when I saw the class coming in all in black, I realized what had happened.' Miss Wallace struggled to retain her self-control, but the combination of circumstances was too much for her. Teachers, luckily, are but human, and if none of them ever laughed in the wrong place, they would be quite unfit to deal with girls who are always laughing in the wrong place. Miss Wallace bit her lip, had recourse to her handkerchief, and then broke into uncontrollable laughter. And the class, which had heard part of Miss Donnelly's reply, instantly grasped the situation. Considering the mournful fate of Phoenicia Daido, it really was quite unfitting that such hilarity should interrupt the description of her obsequies. Miss Wallace wiped her eyes at last, and, as the class quieted from its hysteric mirth, she turned and conversed with Miss Donnelly for a moment in whispers. Then she faced about, her eyes twinkling, though she kept the corners of her mouth in order by an effort of the will. "'I'm sure you girls will be glad to know that Victoria Wells is decidedly better this morning. Her mother hopes she may sit up by the end of the week.' The class broke into applause, which Miss Donnelly did not attempt to check, and after making the most of this safety valve, the girls settled down to business as best they could. Miss Donnelly kept her eyes upon her book throughout the remainder of the recitation hour. Even teachers have their lessons to learn and Miss Donnelly had discovered something about jumping at conclusions which probably was more valuable than any information she had succeeded in imparting. Blanche Esterbrook called a class meeting after school. It had been suggested, she explained, that it would be a very fitting expression of sympathy to send flowers to Victoria Wells. The motion was made and carried unanimously, and the amount of the collection proved that the girl's interest was not superficial. There was hardly one present who was not willing to contribute her last nickel for car fare and walk home, while several dropped into the improvised collection plates a written pledge, duly signed, to bring twenty-five cents next morning. Every girl in school knew of Miss Donnelly's funny blunder and the consternation for which it was responsible, and a good many seniors were waking up to the fact that Victoria had not been given a square deal. Peggy was not at the class meeting. Priscilla, who had made an anxious search for her at the noon intermission, discovered that she had gone to the office about ten o'clock, and had asked to be excused, as she had a headache. End of chapter 17